RTHK News. It's one o'clock, I'm Priscilla Ng. The headlines. Hong Kong's two power firms are due to announce their tariff arrangements for next year, and experts are expecting steep hikes of between 10 and 30 percent. 38 people have been killed and two are injured in a fire that broke out at a factory in Henan province. And a tsunami warning has been issued in the Solomon Islands after a strong earthquake struck the area. The CEO of the World Health World Green Organization, William Yu, says he expects electricity bills to rise by at least 10% for CLP and at least 30% for Hong Kong Electric. The two power firms will announce their tariff arrangements for next year later today. Speaking on RTHK, Mr. Yu attributed the steep hikes to price fluctuations in the international energy market. However, he believes prices will stabilize as relatively cheaper natural gas is expected to be available after the completion of an LNG terminal next year. Theoretically speaking, it should be easier to find relatively cheaper liquefied natural gas after the terminal is completed. That will help cut fuel costs, and hopefully by then the geopolitical tension and oil prices will be less of a factor. 38 people have been killed and two are injured after a fire at a factory in Henan province. State media reports that some arrests have been made without providing details. Natalie Ching has details. State media says the fire first broke out at around 4.20 yesterday afternoon at a Kaishinda trading company in the city of Anyang. Firefighters fought the blaze for hours before it was finally extinguished at around 11 o'clock in the evening. Authorities say criminal suspects have been taken into custody in connection with the fire, but did not provide further details. More than 200 search rescue workers and 65 fighters responded to the fire. New figures show that the number of COVID infections rose by around 1,000 on the mainland yesterday as cases surged in the capital, Beijing. Cecil Wong has details. The National Health Commission says the mainland recorded 27,899 new locally transmitted cases on Monday. That's up 1,075 cases from the previous day. Two more people succumbed to the disease. In Beijing, the total number of infections surged from 962 to 1,438, even as the city shut businesses and schools in hard-hit districts and tightened rules for entering the capital. But new cases in Guangzhou were relatively flat, with authorities reporting a total of 8,210 cases, up just 29 from the previous day. Authorities there have locked down the bustling district of Baiyun, home to around 3.7 million people. Public transit has been suspended, schools are shut, and residents are required to present a negative COVID test to leave their homes. The measures are meant to last until Friday. A strong 7.0 magnitude earthquake has struck the Solomon Islands, with eyewitnesses reporting violent shaking that hurled televisions and other items to the ground. A tsunami warning was issued for an area of the Solomon's coast within 300 kilometers of the epicenter. The shaking reportedly lasted for around 20 seconds. Power was out in some areas, and people were seen fleeing to higher ground. Rescue workers in Indonesia have worked through the night to try to find survivors from the earthquake which struck the country's main island of Java. At least 160 people have been killed, and hundreds more have been injured, with many buried by collapsing buildings. More than 13,000 people have been forced from their homes. The BBC's Jonathan Head reports. As the shaking subsided, 
Shocked residents stood out on the streets of Chanjou to take in the damage done to their homes. It was extensive. By normal measurements, this was not an especially powerful earthquake. But it was shallow, close to the Earth's surface. Enough to cause hundreds of buildings to collapse. They brought the injured to the main hospital in the area in any way they could. Some carried on floor mats, others in the backs of trucks, in the arms of a soldier, and in a constant chaotic stream of ambulances. With aftershocks still being felt, they were left on tarpaulins put down outside the hospital, with nurses treating them as best they could where they lay. All our staff have come, said this hospital spokeswoman. People off shift, those on days off, all of them. Officials have been trying to coordinate rescue efforts for places which have been cut off. We still have one area that's not been evacuated, said the district chief. The road is completely blocked by a landslide. Earthquakes are not unusual here, along Indonesia's so-called Ring of Fire. But this one appears to have been more destructive than most. So many lives lost, so many homes to rebuild. The United States envoy on war crimes, Beth Van Schaak, says she's monitoring allegations that Ukrainian troops have committed human rights abuses. This comes after the circulation of a video apparently showing Ukrainians shooting dead 12 Russian soldiers after they had surrendered and were lying on the ground. Ms. Van Schaak said the laws of war apply to everyone. We have seen some reports of potential detainee abuses, custodial abuses. Obviously, the laws of war apply in equal measure to all parties, both the aggressor state and the state that is, is defending against the aggression. But this is really where the equivalency ends. The scale and nature of abuses on the, at the hands of Russia's forces are so much greater than what we're seeing at the hands of Ukrainian forces. The World Health Organization has warned that millions of people in Ukraine face a life-threatening winter because of Russia's destruction of the country's energy grid. The WHO's Europe director, Hans Kluger, said Ukraine's health system faced huge challenges. This winter will be life-threatening for millions of people in Ukraine. The devastating energy crisis, the deepening mental health emergency, Constraints on humanitarian access and the risk of viral infections will make this winter a formidable test for the Ukraine health system and the Ukraine people. Mr. Kluger said that the organization had verified more than 700 attacks on Ukraine's health infrastructure, including hospitals, since the war began. A plan to beam electricity wirelessly from space to power millions of homes could be edging a step closer. The European Space Agency is to consider funding a three-year study called Solaris to see if having huge solar farms in space could work and be cost-effective. The eventual aim is to have giant satellites in orbit, each able to generate the same amount of electricity as a power station. The ESA's governing council has been assessing the proposal. Sanjay Vijendram is project leader at ESA. It's not science fiction, that it's not just something on paper or in the lab, that it's ready to be deployed at a small scale. And of course the challenge with applying this to space-based solar power is extending that scale and that power by a dramatic amount. And that will take some time. It's a huge challenge, of course. The BBC's Palab Ghosh has more. 
The sun's energy can be collected much more efficiently in space because there's neither night nor clouds. The idea of bringing this energy back to Earth has been around for more than 50 years, but it's been too difficult and too expensive to implement until maybe now. The game-changer has been the plummeting cost of launches, thanks to reusable rockets and other innovations developed by the private sector. The European Space Agency, of which the UK is a part, is seeking funds from its member nations for a research programme to see if these developments mean that it's now possible to develop space-based solar power reliably and cheaply enough to make it economically viable. If it finds that it is, then the next stage would be to embark on an ambitious plan to build a series of enormous solar panels in orbit. Since Elon Musk bought Twitter, the platform has been thrown into uncertainty, mass redundancies and then the surprise move to reinstate former President Donald Trump's account. Now, one of Twitter's most important charity partners says it's considering ending its relationship with the platform because of recent policy changes. This comes as one of Twitter's major advertising partners expresses doubts about its future with Twitter. The BBC's Joe Tidy has more. Well, the Anti-Defamation League are one of three different charity civil rights groups that Twitter itself puts on its website under partnerships that drive industry-wide change. So they are listed as being really important charities that, that Twitter works with to ensure that the platform is safe. The Anti-Defamation League say that the uh, decision to reinstate Donald Trump, the, the former president Donald Trump's uh, Twitter account, goes against what they were told by Musk on a meeting that they had with him on the 1st of November, where the new owner of Twitter said, we are not going to take any major policy decisions without forming a open, transparent and well-run group of uh, people, like a committee in a sense, a sort of moderation committee. And then, of course, on Saturday, there was a, a decision by Musk to put up a poll and say, right, shall we or shan't we um, reinstate Trump's Twitter account? And that uh, poll got 50 million votes. Musk said the people have spoken and reinstated the account. And that has caused the ADL to to say that now they're very um, concerned about the way that the platform is being run and they are carefully considering how they go forward with it. Sports now and in the World Cup, a second-half penalty won by and converted by Captain Gareth Bale has earned a point for Wales against the USA in their first World Cup final game since 1958. Timothy Weir opened the scoring for the Americans as they dominated the first half. The son of 1995 Balloon Door winner George Weir said it was a dream come true to score a goal, but he was disappointed that it wasn't enough for a win. You feel good at the same time. You feel, you feel feel bad to not get the win. I mean, it was a great feeling scoring my first uh, goal in my first World Cup game. Um, dream come true, but um, it would have been sweeter definitely with the win. But um, you have to take the positives out of it, positives and negatives. But you know, we just have to get back into training and rebuild on what we did well and fix the things we didn't do well and hopefully come out much better. Wales will play Iran in their second game on Friday before the U.S. face Group B leaders England. Supporters of England are still celebrating their team's thumping 6-2 win over Iran. Bukayo Saka scored twice after 19-year-old Jude Bellingham opened the scoring. Raheem Sterling, Marcus Rashford and Jack Grealish were also on target for England, while Mehdi Taremi replied with two second-half goals for Iran. I think England going away. We came closer at the Euros. We lost on pens. Broke my heart. Still suffering now, but confident this year. Southgate's giving everyone a bit of a 
never calmed down in the nation's league, but now he knows the boys are going all the way. Come on, England! I'm not getting my hopes up just yet, but that's good to see. We're normally failing those sort of instances, so I'll yes. take that. We're coming home, we're coming home, come on! Yeah, I think England played well. I think they uh, commanded the game. They uh, passed it around, hold the possession, scored good goals. They took, uh, you know, they were, um, the chances they had, they took them all well. I mean, they hit the bar first with Harry uh, Maguire. Yeah, it was um, comfortable, comfortable. How am I feeling? Excited, looking forward to the rest of the World Cup, but it's England, so, you know, we don't want to get our hopes up too early. It's a bit of a sort of a team we expected a win against, but it's a promising start. The lads have got some confidence and it's time to go. The Netherlands won their tough opening Group A match against the African champions Senegal 2-0, but both goals came late in the game, as the BBC's John Bennett reports. Without their star man Sadio Mane, Senegal came so close to a precious point to start their World Cup campaign. But two late goals and some questionable goalkeeping by Edouard Mendy gave the Netherlands a crucial victory. PSV Eindhoven forward Cody Gakpo beats Mendy to the ball when it was chipped in by Frankie de Jong with six minutes remaining. Then the sub David Klaassen scored deep into injury time after a rebound from Memphis Depay's shot. Senegal's Boulay Gia and Idrissa Gay came close to opening the scoring for Senegal, but the Netherlands took their chances and they've now gone 16 games unbeaten under their head coach, Louis van Gaal. France kick off their title defence against Australia at 3 o'clock tomorrow morning, Hong Kong time. The French side have been decimated by injuries. Real Madrid's Ballon d'Or winner, Karim Benzema, was the latest player to withdraw. They're also missing star midfielders N'Golo Kante and Paul Pogba. But the 1998 World Cup winner, Franck Labouffe, says it's more about how the team plays as a unit rather than the individual players. Well, I like to think that football is a collective sport. <laughs> we know that nowadays, you know, we we uh, focus on the individuals. But uh, I know that with Mbappe, Griezmann, Duram, uh, uh, Dembele, you have the talent that you need to uh, to to score goals. But those players have to be served. They have to work defensively, which which Mbappe doesn't really like to do. But you you need to serve those players up front. Later tonight in the same group, Denmark play Tunisia. But first at 6 p.m., it's Argentina against Saudi Arabia. Now a look at the weather before we go. It will be cloudy with a few showers. We'll have moderate to fresh easterly winds, strong offshore and on high grounds at first. It will be windy with showers over the next couple of days. Right now it's 24 degrees at the observatory, relative humidity 82%. And to end the news, this is the top story. Hong Kong's two power firms are due to announce their tariff arrangements for next year. And experts are expecting steep hikes of between 10 and 30%. The news from RTHK. The Brew with Phil Whelan on Radio 3. I lost my own belief. Oh, something breaking me was overcome. Walking these lonely streets, even in good company, I want to run.
Alok Sagala, Ellie Golding on Radio 3. It's 18 minutes past one. I was going to wait a few minutes to say hi to Dr. Merrin Pierce, but where he is in Porirua in New Zealand, it's just about to absolutely pour down. We've got that great big grey sky thing happening. Do join us on Facebook Live if you'd like to say, see what I'm on about and say hi to Merrin. How is it going? That looks bleak. How are you today? That is great, but I think... I don't know whether it's a good sign or a bad sign, but the Canadian geese just all flew off as you started that. So it's like, they're even out of here. Yeah. I don't don't think it was to do with them. It's going well because over behind me, there's a a new wetland. We'll talk about that. But I think what happened was the kids found some lighter stones and threw the stones towards the geese. And they said, uh, that did it. Because um, what we got is, um, just wanted to talk a little bit about wetlands, but uh, it all ties into a, a thinking, Wetlands, uh, we've got the issue going on, oh, was it two days or three days ago, was World Toilet Day, for uh, those yeah. that don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've covered that one. Well, what we're doing is we're in a low-lying area um, in the estuary or the harbour called the Porua Harbour or Parramatta Inlet, all parts I've shown you people before. This area that I'm standing in used to be mud flats, yep. and back in, I think it was the 1940s, um, the government of the day decided that it was good to reclaim this area, build some flat, flat areas. And if I switch the camera around, um, we should be able to see in the distance things like rugby fields. Um, we've got some teams playing hockey over there on the turf. Um, but it's a very flat area all around here, so rugby fields and that. And um, they also started building houses close to here. Yeah. Uh, and I'm doing this pan round. You've only got houses on one side. And then down on the flat area, they decided to build almost the city uh, of Porirua, the township. So you've got a lot of light industrial and um, shopping centers and 